Welcome to the Vineyard Northridge Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by our senior pastor, Neil Haney. For more information about our church, visit our website at vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge. Last week, Dennis Kozloff spoke on uh, the subject of spiritual amnesia, and if you didn't hear that message, if you happen to miss that, please go to vineyardnorthridge.org, our website, go up in the corner, click on the little uh, three lines, it'll drop down, just click on sermons, his sermon is the first, or I think you can just actually scroll down on the homepage and find that message, but uh, Dennis Kozlov, spiritual amnesia, everyone knows what amnesia is, it's when you forget and Dennis's whole point last week was that, that um, sometimes, in fact, most of us uh, forget the simplicity of the gospel. We start off great with putting our faith in Christ and, and the grace of God that comes to us through Christ in his redemptive work on the cross. And, and we just we realize that, that, we're, that we're sinful and that we need a savior that we need someone to take away our sins and deal with our sins the holy spirit begins to convict us and and we we turn to christ somehow we find that jesus is the answer to all of this and we turn to him and we receive his his redemption we receive his his forgiveness we receive all that he's done for us in his work on the cross and we start off great guns by faith and grace and it's all about grace the grace of god and jesus christ and then somewhere along the way especially Americans for some reason, because we're very work-oriented, we're very, uh, or at least we've always been very uh, high work ethic, a very pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You know, this country was founded on hard work and, and uh, earning your keep and, and, you know, doing your best and, and you know, uh, making something, you know, self-made man is kind of a, you know, one of our our uh, you know, catchphrases in this country, I'm a self-made man. And so we, we move from the grace of God. Uh, it it kind of comes on subtly, but we feel like that, that salvation is from God, but sanctification is something that we have to kind of help God out with as, as we improve on ourselves and our Christian walk, so to speak. And, and before long, we're locked into a religious performance kind of lifestyle where it's really about our performance. It's how well we're doing, how good we're being. And then when we struggle with sin, we're just berating ourselves because uh, there's something wrong with us. And, and, so, and so we move from grace-oriented, all about Jesus, to self-oriented, all about how well I'm doing and how well I'm pleasing God. Does that, does that sound all right? I mean, can you guys relate to that? Uh, I had a nervous breakdown in 2012 for that very reason, and I won't elaborate on that anymore, but God saved me from a works-oriented, performance-based religion and brought me back into the fullness of His grace. And so please listen to that message, but, uh, you know, the gospel of grace seems almost too good to be true, and you've been told, I'm pretty sure, that if something sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Well, the gospel is an exception to that. The gospel of grace is the exception to that rule. It's not, it is too good to be true, but it's still true. (laughs) You you and I have received everything that Jesus has done for us. When he said on the cross, it is finished, 
He wasn't just talking about, hey, I, you know, I've done my job and I died. He's basically saying in that moment, I have finished the work of redemption for the entire human race for all time. And anyone who believes in him shall not perish, but will have eternal life. And that eternal life begins right now. And so the, 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 the gospel, the finished work of Christ on the cross in our behalf flies in the face of our do-it-yourself culture and the typical religion of living and working to please God. And that, that is a lie from the pits of hell, and it will tear you up. It will wear you out. It will burn you out. It will cook you like a potato. And so, and so Dennis is right, man. We, we, we've got to be careful not to move away from the gospel. Years ago, I uh, picked up a little book uh, in the, uh, the, the bookstore at Asbury Seminary called Free for the Taking. It's by a man named Joseph Cook. This book has been out of print, uh, and it went back into print and then went out of print again. <laughs> so, but, but I bought the original copy of, of, of you know, the, the first edition of this and read it with great eagerness because it's all about the gospel. But, but here's the thing. The guy that wrote the book, Joseph Cook tells his story right at the beginning of his book, and he said, this was my story. I was born in a Christian home. I was raised as a Christian. I went to church with my family every Sunday. Uh, I ended up going to a Christian. It gave my life to Christ at a very early age. I ended up uh, going to a Christian college, then went to seminary, and then it felt like the Lord had called me to the mission field, and so I went to Thailand. And he said, I was only there three years before I burned out, crashed, and burned in this religious performance thing. He said, I could preach the gospel to the, the, you know, the, the non-believers in Thailand, but I could not believe it for myself. It was grace for them, but it was performance for me. And he said, I absolutely could not please God. In fact, he said, my God, my perception of God, my God, quote unquote, was an unpleasable deity. I just couldn't do enough uh, good things, and I couldn't stop sinning enough to make him happy, at least in my own mind and heart. And he said, after three years, I crawled off the mission field and went home. to the, the, my, my wife had to go to work and earn a living for us because I couldn't function. Guys, I know what that feels like. That was 2012 for me. There was a point where I came to where I couldn't function. I couldn't work. I had to take... You know, I had to take a long leave and just go, go away. And Joseph Cook said, said in, in his debilitation, he said he actually had to just stop praying. He stopped having, you know, he couldn't read the word because every time he prayed, read the word, he would begin to disintegrate on the inside emotionally. He could not please God, and it was tearing him up. And so he said, I finally just had to stay away from God. And he said it, would, it had been about six weeks, and I was on a bus going somewhere, and he said, out of the blue, all of a sudden, I felt the sweet presence of God. And he's like, it was like a breath of fresh air. He was like, oh, my goodness. God, you're real, and you're back. And, oh, I just love you so much. And he said, he said that was wonderful, and, and, and it was great. And initially, it was like, oh, this is awesome. And he said it lasted for about two weeks before he was all the way back to the place where every time he prayed or read the word, he began to disintegrate again. Because 
He said, it seemed like when I was in abject need and I was just laying in a heap, God's grace was all over me. But then when I began to try to serve him and try to have a relationship with him, I, all of a sudden I was not able to please him anymore. All of a sudden he made more and more demands on me, at least in my mind. And I began to disintegrate. He said, I went through this for, for a long time. And somehow the gospel reached his heart again, and it saved him from the religion of performance, from a works righteousness, for trying to please God in his own strength. I just want to, just for a, like a biblical baseline, I just want to read something here, and, uh, uh, and, and we're going to just dive into to this message this morning. Romans 5, verses 18 and 19. It says, Just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men. So when Adam sinned, he sinned for the human race. And condemnation fell on him and his entire offspring. So the result of one act of righteousness by the last Adam, Jesus, was justification that brings life for all men. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, Adam, the many were made sinners, so through the obedience of the one man, Jesus, Christ, the last Adam, the many have been made righteous. And so Tuesday morning, I went to have my quiet time. And I mean, this is two days after Dennis's sermon. That I sat over here and amen to the whole, whole entire sermon. You guys probably heard me. Amen. Yeah, that's right. Dennis, go. You know. And I go home. And I'm sitting in, I, I go, you know, Tuesday morning, I'm getting ready for my devotions, and I sit down before the Lord. And normally, I'm looking forward to that. Like, that's my bet. that's the best time of, of any day for me, is just being with the Lord and just being in His presence and, and just talking to Him and reading, his, you know, reading the Word. It, that's where I find Jesus in the Word and, and, and uh, just reading some really good devotional books and stuff like that and, and journaling and just talking to Him. And, and I was kind of dragging my feet a little bit. And when I sat down, it, I have a chair sitting in front of me that's just, it just is like a, a visual for, you know, Jesus' presence. I just like, I don't know what it is about that little gray chair, but I just, when I see that chair, I just, it just puts me in his presence somehow. It's not about the chair, it's just Jesus, you know, is there for me. It's just something to focus on while I'm praying. And I sat down and I started to, I was feeling super like, guilty, unworthy. Uh, I was feeling off. I was feeling out of sync with him. I, I was just feeling, uh, you know, and thinking about things that, you know, over the weekend and over, over the, you know, the past few days that the, either I'd done wrong, mistakes I'd made, you know, th things that I'd done that I wish I hadn't done or things I wish I'd done that I hadn't, whatever. And I, and I sat down in front of him and I'm just feeling like I don't want to be here. And I'm feeling ashamed and I'm feeling unworthy and I'm feeling, you know, all this stuff, and, and um, I start to, to go into my prodigal son's speech. You know the speech, Father, I'm, not, I'm, I'm unworthy to be called your son. I started the, the prodigal speech. I mean, it wasn't those exact words, but it was more or less that. And Jesus stopped me. He's like, stop. I don't want to talk about that stuff. In fact, I don't even care about that stuff because, Neil, it's not about you. His, that's what he said to me. It's not about you. 
And all of a sudden, the gospel hit my heart again. No, it's not about me. It's actually all about you, Jesus, because you're my life. I mean, in that one phrase, Jesus preached the gospel to me. Jesus says in John 8.32, If anyone is my disciple, he will know the truth, and the truth will make him free or set him free. And then four verses later, in verse 36, he says, Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. The Son was setting me free by the truth of the gospel. He was setting my heart free. And I took in this big, deep breath of fresh air of grace. And I just let him tell me how much it wasn't about me. And so this morning, the title of my message is, It's Not About You. I just had to bring this, bring this to you. It's not about you. It's not about you. Jesus was doing what he promised in, 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 in John 8, 32 and 36 for me because the Christian life is all about, and he was setting me free. So I just want to talk about this morning some things. There are questions that come up. There are questions that come up when we start thinking about, okay, the gospel. Yes, the gospel, and Jesus is all about you. And, and yes, uh, uh, you really... Uh, have died for me, you have dealt with my sins, you have taken care of me, uh, but, but there's some questions that come up. I call it the yes but in the face of the gospel. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, the gospel, yeah, the, the gospel is true, but what about this, and what about that, and what about this other thing? And here's, there, there are three things that come up, three questions that I, that I experience in my own life. Okay, okay, if it's all about you, then then why do I feel this unworthiness? Like, wh- why do I feel unworthy, so unworthy? Secondly, what about my sins? Like, like, if this is all about you, then what about me? Like, what about my sins? And thirdly, uh, the question is, what about my failure as a Christian? Because oftentimes, I don't measure up to what I see, you know, Jesus being like, and I'm supposed to be like him, Right? We're supposed to be like Jesus, right? We're supposed to forgive our enemies and, 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 and love our enemies. And we're supposed to, you know, do all these wonderful things. We're supposed to love, love, love and never have any, you know, uh, anger in our hearts and all this stuff. And what, what about my failure? Because it sure a lot of times it feels like it's about me and about my performance. And, and uh, so, so I just want to address these things. First of all, I just want to address the whole thing of unworthiness. So, so Jesus, if it's all about you, why do I feel so unworthy? Well, feelings, first of all, let me just say feelings often lie. We cannot trust our feelings. We, we just can't. Feelings are there for a purpose, and I'll talk about that. But unworthiness is a direct result of the fall. As soon as Adam and Eve took that forbidden fruit, took it into themselves in Genesis 3, and the, the scales were removed from their eyes, and they saw for the first time, or they realized for the first time, that they were naked. And before they'd been naked and unashamed, now they're naked, and they're ashamed of their nakedness, and they put the fig leaves together, cover themselves, and go hide in the bushes from God. And when God comes through to meet with them like he did every day, he can't find them. Well, at least he... It's kind of like little kids playing hide-and-seek, you know. Yeah, uh, you ever play hide-and-seek with your children, and they're hiding under a desk, and you can see three-quarters of their body? 
And you're like, hmm, where are you? You know, oh, gosh, I don't know. You know, and you walk right up to the desk, and they're under there, and they're giggling, and you know where they are. Well, that's kind of Adam and Eve only. They weren't giggling. They, they were probably crying. And when Jesus says, where are you, Adam? He really wasn't asking that because he didn't know. But, but, but that's the way we do. We hide from God. And, and, and Tuesday, I felt like hiding from Jesus because I felt unworthy. Unworthiness is a direct result of the fall. And so, and so our feelings uh, don't change just because we get redeemed. Does that make sense? Just because we come to Christ and we experience His grace, it doesn't cha- fact that, change the fact that our feelings are our feelings. And often we feel really negative things. And we, because we feel those things and our feelings are real, we, we conclude that they must be telling us the truth. But they're not always, okay? They're not. And so, I, our feelings of our unworthiness are not focused on the facts of God's word. Let me share something else from Romans 5 with you. This is the truth, regardless of your feelings. Listen to this, folks. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, justified means made right with God. Justified means all our sins are taken away. Justified means that we are righteous before God, period. Now listen to this. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. We may not have peace with ourselves because of our feelings of unworthiness and guilt and so forth, but we do have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's, uh, that's always, it's all about Him, see? It's not about us, it's about Him through whom, Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Thank God for the word now. Because when, every time you look this verse up, it still says now. And er, from now until Jesus returns, when you look this verse up, it's still going to say now. You now stand in God's grace. When we were still powerless Christ died for the ungodly okay God demonstrates God the father demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners he sent his son to die for us since we have now been justified made right made righteous by his blood how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath on sin against the cancer of sin through Jesus For if when we were God's enemies we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more have we been reconciled, now that we have been reconciled, shall we be saved through the life of Christ? Do you understand what I'm saying here? It's, we stand in God's grace, we stand in the peace of, you know, with God, we have peace with God, and we stand there now, and there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and if you have accepted Jesus in your heart, you are in Christ Jesus. That's where you are. So unworthiness is a lie. You are not worthy based on your own worthiness, by the way. It's based on him. Okay, so if it's true that it's not about me, what about my sins? What about when I sin and fall short of the glory of God? What, what about when I do something horrible or I, I, I do something to someone or I don't do something for someone that I should have done and I feel guilty 
Guys, guilt is a natural feeling when we sin. It just is. We're going to feel guilty when we sin. That's actually a good thing. You know why? People that don't have Christ in their hearts, people that don't have the Holy Spirit, don't feel guilty when they sin. Sin is fun. Sin is what you do. Sin is as natural as breathing for non-Christians, for people who don't know Christ. But when we feel that guilt, when we feel that sense of... So, so there, I, I, there's a word, it's a big 50-cent word called incongruence. Do you know what incongruence means? That, yeah, there's a, there's a lack of lining up with what's true. And so when we sin, and we're no longer sinners, we're, we're saints... Nowhere in the New Testament will you ever find Paul or Peter or John or anyone calling Christians sinners. We used to be, but now we're saints. But when saints sin, there's an incongruence. And so we have this feeling called guilt. And it's not false guilt. It's real guilt. Unlike unworthiness, guilt is real. But it's, it's the conclusions that we draw. See, guilt is like, our feelings of guilt is like a red light on the dashboard of your car. Like your oil's too low, or you, you, you're almost out of gas, or whatever. It means that you've done something that's in, incongruent with, with your being a saint, being righteous. And so you have this feeling of guilt. And what are you supposed to do when you've sinned and you, you feel this guilt? Well, it says in 1 John 1 9, confess your sins to Jesus, and he will forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. It's just you hit the reset button on the, you, you, you know, you change the oil or whatever, you know, but Jesus does this. It's, you come to him. You don't run away from him and hide with, with Adam and Eve. You come straight to Jesus, and then he forgives you. You confess to him. You say, you know, I think, I wonder what would have happened if Adam and Eve had come to God and said, hey, we did what you told us not to do. We're really sorry. Would you please forgive us, cleanse us? That's not what happened. They ran away from him. I don't know what would have happened, honestly. But now that Jesus has come and made us right with God and his blood has covered our, or washed away our sins and we're in Christ Jesus and we're righteous through him, we don't have to run away from him anymore. We just run to him and say, Lord, I blew it. Forgive me and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. He said, yeah, I forgave you 2,000 years ago on the cross when I nailed that sin to the cross. So you're forgiven and you're cleansed from all unrighteousness. It's more of a reminder it's a kind of a reason. It's kind of like when you confess to your spouse when you've done something stupid. It's not that your relationship is broken. It's just that it kind of like clears the air, right? And you can go on and just have a good relationship. I mean, it's all relational at this point. It's not about performance. It's a red light on the dash. And it means that we just need to confess and be restored. Now, what about guilt? What about guilt? I want to... Let me just quote to you this, this, this passage, and I do believe we have this scripture. Wes, go ahead and put that up, because I just want to reiterate this. I shared this last time I spoke, and um, I want to talk about this for a minute, because this is where things were taken care of. In the Old Covenant, the priest had to sacrifice every year. These, you know, the, this, the, they would have to slaughter animals and you know, sprinkle blood on the, the seat of the, of the Ark of the Covenant, and, and then go out and sprinkle the blood on the people. And, you know, they were cleansed from their sins from the past year. And he had a clean slate. So they had 364 days to sin some more so they could do this again a year later. And, it was, and then in between, they would bring guilt offerings and sin offerings and all this stuff to the Lord and slaughter more animals and shed more blood and all this stuff. And, and, and so 
Jesus came, that was under the old covenant. He came and brought a new covenant. And here's what he did for us. It says, for by one sacrifice on the cross, he, Christ Jesus, made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And I talked about this, and, and I can't say this enough, guys, because this is where we get confused. What does it say about being perfected? We're perfected forever by the sacrifice of Christ. Does that mean that every day that you live, you're going to do everything perfect? I, that's not been my experience. I don't know about you, but <laughs> it's been far from my. Just ask my wife, you know. She'll tell you. Neil Haney is not perfect. But we're being made holy. You see, Jesus has sent his spirit into our spirits and made us one with him. And that oneness is an eternal oneness. And it's a perfection in our spirits. Our spirits cannot be anything but perfect because they were dead. And now when the spirit comes in, they're made alive and we're one. Our spirits intermingle. And in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, in the writings of Paul, sometimes you can't tell if he's talking about our spirit or the Holy Spirit. And if you ask him, are you talking about our spirit or the Holy Spirit, his answer would be yes. Because we're one with him in the spirit. But then there's the matter of our souls, our minds, wills, and emotions, where our minds are having to be renewed, our wills are needing to be surrendered, and our emotions are needing to be healed. As I said before, they lie to us. And they have to be healed in order to be true, you know, line up with the truth. And so this second part of this, those who are being made holy, the Holy Spirit has made us perfect forever, and then he climbs into the soulish part of us, he rolls up his sleeves, and he starts perfecting us from the inside out in real time and space. And I hope to God that each one of you are cooperating with this process. Cooperating simply means allowing him to do this. It simply means, like, like, guys, you don't earn brownie points with God for coming to church, but you do open yourself a little more to the work of his spirit when you do. Like this morning, just being here hearing this message will help you to allow the Holy Spirit to do his work. Because if we're hiding from God, we're blocking some stuff. And it's still not about performance, but it is about cooperation. The best we can do is just cooperate. When we read the word, we're, we're not earning brownie points with God so that we get a better score in heaven. We're simply opening ourselves to the truth that sets us free. Does that make sense? When we pray, we're not earning brownie points with God. We're not, oh, oh hey, by the way, oh, look, Neil's praying. Give him some points, you know? Give him some grace points. He, he deserves five points. Oh, that was a great prayer. How about ten points for him? Angels, give him some points. And they're up there tallying away. That's not it at all. When we pray, we just, John Wesley used to call these the means of grace. We just open ourselves a little bit more and a little bit more, a little bit more to the Holy Spirit's being free to work in our lives. It's not about earning, it's about cooperation. Does that make sense? And so, and so the, the, the Spirit is, is at work. So... Two weeks ago, I told a story. I'm going to tell it again because it's worth repeating. 
told a story, and, and I'm just going to tell again about this old clockmaker. He was a, an old Swiss clockmaker. He was, he was an old guy, probably about my age. And um, he's walking down the road on his way home from the market. You know, he bought some vegetables or something and whatever they do in Switzerland, you know. Maybe he bought some cocoa. I don't know. Anyway, some chocolate. But um, he's walking home from, from uh, the market, and he passes this dump and uh, landfill. And, and he looks over. He just glances over, and he sees on top of this pile of garbage this old clock that's been discarded. And it's, it's just sitting there in the muck and mire of eggs and tomatoes and, you know, uh, cat litter and <laughs> whatever else you find on top of a, a trash heap. But he, he recognizes the clock as one that he had made. And he's a, like the best clockmaker in Switzerland. Like he's, he's the, the, the chief daddy of clockmakers. And he looks over and he sees this old masterpiece sitting on this junk pile with tomatoes and eggs and cat litter and stuff on top of it. And, and he goes, he just goes over. He doesn't care about the, 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 the junk that he has to dig through. And he, he moves that, all the junk out of the way. He gets his hands dirty, which is exactly what Christ did in the Incarnation. He got his hands dirty for us. And he picks that clock up out of that heap and pulls it to his chest. Now, of course, he's getting all that junk on his hands and his clothes, but he doesn't care. Now that clock is his again, and he's going to take care of it. He's going to change it and make it work. But in his arms, in that moment, the only difference between uh, uh, the, the clock from being on top of that trash pile to being in his arms and, and holding, being held in his hands is that in the trash dump it was destined for destruction. It was destined to be burned. And now in his hands it's destined, destined to be redeemed. It's destined for redemption. Destined for destruction, destined for redemption. That's the positional difference of that clock. The clock hasn't changed at all. It doesn't work any better than it did when it was sitting on the dump. The trash heap. Does that make sense? That's what happens when we come to Christ. We come and it's all grace. He's taken us off the trash heap. We're no different than we were before, but now suddenly we belong to the clockmaker. We were destined for destruction. Now we're destined for redemption. Let me read what that looks like. In, uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, I just dropped my bookmark here listen to this as for you you were dead in your transgressions and sins destined for destruction all of us once lived among those who did all these horrible things gratifying the, the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts like the rest we were nat by nature objects of wrath destined for destruction but because of his great love for us, God, the Swiss clockmaker, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated him, uh, us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the ages to come he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. 
for it is by it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is not about you. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. Not by performance. Not by keeping the rules. Not by being good. Not by not being bad. It is by grace you have been saved. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. What do you do with a gift? When someone gives you a gift, what do you do with that gift? You just receive it, right? Right? For we are God's workmanship. We are God's clock, Swiss clock. Created in Christ to do good works. We're supposed to work. Which God prepared in advance for us to do. We're supposed to work properly. But not works as in working for our righteousness. We just, we just are conformed to the image of Christ. So that clockmaker takes that clock. He puts it on his bench. He cleans it off. He polishes it up. He opens it up. He, he changes, the, he, he replaces the broken places, pieces. He straightens out the bent pieces and, and starts working on that clock, working. And at first it runs a little slow and then he adjusts it, it runs a little fast, but eventually it starts working like it's supposed to. That's what Romans 8.29 says when it says that we were predestined to become conformed to the image of Christ. It's the, it's the Holy Spirit working on us to make us work properly. Not for salvation, from salvation. You're the clock. The Holy Spirit is perfecting you. He's making you holy. Renewing your minds. Helping you surrender your will. Healing your emotions. But at the end of the day, it's not about you. So what about my failure as a Christian? It's not about, so, so failure as a Christian just means that you're not quite working right yet. That's one of the questions we ask, well, why am I not living more like Christ? Well, it's because you've not yet been fixed enough, the bent places haven't been straightened enough, the broken places haven't been replaced enough, healed enough, and so you're, you're not functioning quite like Christ yet. But after all, it's not about you. It's not about you. Colossians 3, 1 through 3 says this, and I'm just going to paraphrase, but this is super important to understand. Remember when Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me? I used to pray, oh God, please bring me to the place someday when I can say with Paul, I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but it's, it's, it's you living in me. And then the Lord showed me, dude, you're already there. But what about my sin? What about my failure? What about my unworthiness? It's not about you. It's about, it's about this. And in Colossians 3, it says, you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And Christ is your life. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ is your life. And he's in you and his spirit's in you and he's making you like Jesus. And it's not about what you do or don't do, how well you perform or how poorly. It's about the fact that you belong to Jesus. And listen, guys, the Holy Spirit is working in you to make you like Jesus. So would you relax and lean into the gospel and accept his grace as a gift? Because that's what it says it is in, in, in Ephesians 2. It's a gift from God, and we don't earn it. And we, can't, we don't deserve it, and we can't work for it, and we can't improve on it because the Holy Spirit has to do that. The best we can do is simply cooperate. Just cooperate with Him. Spend time with Him. 
Just come to church. Just be around Christian people. Be a small, you know, do, do, do things that just continue to open you to more of the work of the Spirit. But guys, if you don't do it and you fail to do it, you're, you're not on probation. You're not in time out. You're not separated from God. He's not angry with you. He's not mad at you. He's not unpleasable. He's very pleasable. He's, easy, he's so easily pleased that he's already pleased with you forever. Let me tell you a, a closing story. I, I've told this before, just like the clock. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm at 62. I only have so many stories, you know. So you just have to hear them again. But, you know, maybe the context changes a little bit. And so maybe you can remember these stories, you know, and tell your kids or something or grandkids. Like, Pastor Neil once told me this story. I want to tell you. Come and sit on, you know, Grandpa's lap and let me tell you the story. So anyway, Uncle Neil, story time. Um, there was a, a chieftain, a tribal chieftain, who uh, had his, his, his uh, village had been visited by uh, an American or an English, I guess, missionary. And this missionary had uh, lived among the village and, and, and befriended the, the chieftain, and uh, it was an African village. And, and so he, uh, you know, in his love and in his, his warm, warm uh, loving personality and just exuding Christ, this, this chieftain had come to Christ. He had given his life to Christ and, and changed from paganism to to Christianity, and uh, over time, most of the rest of the village had come to Christ, and this missionary had baptized the chieftain and many of his family members and people. And so, in gratitude, the chieftain called him in his tent one day and said, hey, I want to give you a gift. And he handed him a box, and the missionary opened a box to see this big, beautiful, perfectly formed pearl. And... uh the chief in tears said, this is my most prized possession in this life. He said, this pearl was, was, um, was retrieved by my son. But in diving for this pearl, he went too deep. And he, he, even though he was able to retrieve this pearl, in the process, he died of the bins. It cost him his life. And so this pearl represents my son's life. And he says, I am so in, in, indebted to you for what you've done for me and my, the rest of my family and for, for my people. I want to give you the most prized possession that I own. And he handed him this. And the, the missionary was speechless. And tears rolling down. His, he said, I don't know, even know what to say, but thank you. And so he, he kept this pearl, this pearl in, his, in his own tent. And one day the chieftain called the missionary to his tent and said, I am so grateful for what God has done for me and his sons and so thankful that Jesus would die on the cross for me that I am going to, I am going to crawl on my knees to the nearest church. No matter how painful it is, no matter what it costs me, I'm going to crawl on my knees in gratitude for what Jesus has done for me by dying for me on the cross. And the missionary was horror-struck. Horror-struck. <laughs> He, he, said, he said, no, you don't, you don't need to do that. This, was a, this is a free gift. He's like, please don't do this. You'll destroy your, your knees, your legs. He's like, you'll be crippled by the, the nearest church is miles away. 
And he said, I don't care. This is a sacrifice I'm going to make for my Lord because of the sacrifice he made for me. And the missionary pleaded with him and begged with him and reasoned with him to no avail. He would not change his mind. And so finally, the missionary's praying and he's crying before the Lord. He's like, Lord, what do I do? And suddenly he had an idea. And he picks up the box with that pearl and he goes to the, the, the chieftain's tent and he says, Sir, he's like, I'm so appreciative of what, what you've given me. He's like, I just can't receive this as a gift. I, I want to pay you for this pearl. How much, I don't care what it costs. How much do you want? How much do I need to pay you for this pearl? And the chieftain looked at him and said, Sir, that was a gift. Just a gift of gratitude for what you've done for me. He's like, no, I know, I appreciate that. He's like, but it cost your son his life. The least I could do is pay you what it's worth. I don't care. Name the amount, I'll pay you. And the chieftain began to get red in the face, and he became, he said, sir, you don't understand. There is nothing in the world that you could give me that's worth the price of that pearl because my son gave his life. And all of a sudden, he realized what was happening. And he dropped to his knees and he said, I see, I see what you're doing. Please forgive me. And God, please forgive me to think that I could do anything to deserve the sacrifice that your son made for me. You see what happened there? Guys, this is a gift for all time. You have been perfected forever. And the Holy Spirit is the one making you perfect. He's making you holy. So drop your guilt trips. Stop beating yourself up. Tell your unworthiness to shut up. Take your guilt to Jesus and say, Jesus, I did this. I forgot to do that. I didn't do this. I did this wrong, whatever. Would you please, you know, cleanse me from all unrighteousness? And he's like, of course. Now let's go have fun. Let's go talk. Let's go, let's go do something. Let's go watch the Ohio State almost get beat by... Um, uh, Indiana. Anyway, but let's let's do something. You know, let's. But it's not about you earning your keep. It's not about you. You don't have to. If you're failing, God's going to use that. He's going to use that to teach you lessons. He's going to use that to conform you to the image of Christ. If you feel guilty, go to Jesus. If you feel unworthy, tell your feelings to be quiet. Because you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He's done it all. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins and transgressions against them. For he who, knew, he who knew no sin was made sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are a masterpiece. You are the clock. He's the master clockmaker, and he's taking care of you. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information about our church, visit vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge.